Check. Hello. Check. Check. Hello. All right. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. The Untethered Soul Reading Hour. This is the book that we're looking at today. The book is called The Untethered Soul, The Journey Beyond Yourself by Michael A. Singer. Uh, recommended by my Faja. He's reading it right now, and he, he asked me about it the other day, so I went and downloaded it, and I read through a, the first two chapters, and now I'm on chapter three, and I figured, you know, it's a nice, I figured, you know, what what, what, what am I going to do tonight, you know? That was the question. What am I going to do? I'm going to watch the new Mortal Kombat movie, for sure. That's definitely going to be happening, but what about before that? What are you going to do before you watch the brand new Mortal Kombat movie out on HBO Max, as well as theaters all at the same time? What are you going to do before that? Well, I did my laundry. I did my laundry before that. (laughs) Well, what else are you going to do? I also took a shower. I was at the beach today. I was covered in sand. And I needed a shower, so I did that. Well, what else? What else are you going to do before you watch the new Mortal Kombat movie out on HBO Max as well as theaters at the same time? I'm going to read this book at you. I'm going to read this book with you. We're going to read this book, at least chapter three. I'm committing to chapter three with this. We're going to at least do chapter three. So... Before we get into before we get into chapter three here, let me give a synopsis of the first two chapters. Quick synopsis. So, uh, basically, the first two chapters we're talking about recognizing the voice in your head. So, the voice in your head is the mental dialogue that occurs throughout the day, narrating the world around you, talking to yourself about who you are or what you want to do. That's basically what it was. It was uh, two chapters of just exemplifying and describing what it looks like to have this mental chatter in our heads all day long. And it was, uh, the first chapter was just pointing it out, saying, you know, like, listen, like, if this voice in your head was externalized as a person, you would not want to be around them. (laughs) You know, like, the voice in your head saying like, oh, you should you should text him or, you know, you don't want to do that. Maybe you should wait. I think you should do it. You know, we should always do that. You don't want to listen to that. You know, also like say you're in McDonald's drive through and it's like, wow, this is taking forever. Everybody sucks. You suck. They suck. Why are you here? McDonald's is bad for you anyway. Why do you want to sit in this line? Couldn't you do anything else? And if, if, if that was your like, if that was like your partner in the car, you'd be like, dude, you got to go. Like, I don't need to hear that. Like, <laughs> I want some McDoubles, God damn it. <laughs> I just want, I want two McDoubles for $3.18. That's what I want right now. And I don't need you, you know, causing a ruckus and a fuss. We can sit here. There's people have sat through way worse things in the history of man. People have done some serious sit downs for serious lengths of time for way for for way less reward than what we're sitting for (laughs) we're sitting we're literally sitting here to get fed greasy delicious double cheeseburgers 
People have had hunger strikes for weeks. <laughs> we can sit here and get and get a uh, get get a get a McDouble or two. We're going to get into the untethered soul. Don't worry. This is just I guess this is comedy hour right now. I don't know. But the point of that story is there's a voice in your head that is talking to you and we're listening to that voice and we're talking back to that voice. We sometimes we'll even argue with that voice. There'll be a debate, a full-blown conversation in our heads about whatever. Lord knows what it's about. I know I've had a few of those today, today only, you know. The point being, the first chapter is just recognizing that we all have this voice in our head. So the first thing is we want to begin to be aware that there's there's something talking to me all the time in my head. The second chapter was basically talking about how to raise awareness and establish consciousness of that voice, which means not to play into it, but begin to observe it. Just be aware that it's occurring. That's essentially the the beginnings of a meditative state. And, uh, you know, not only does the voice tell us all the things about the world around us, it also tells me things about myself. I am this type of person. I am this type of guy. I'm a, you know, substitute anything you want. I could use some personal examples. I, I, I'm an artist, right? I'm a rapper. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a this. I'm a that. And it's, it's, it's. It's all bullshit because in reality, I'm just a human being having a being of human. So anyway, you want to look at that and begin begin to be aware that the voice in your head is trying to identify or attach itself to ideas to establish a level of security. Because if I am saying who I am, I'm protected from who you may think I am. But there's no real difference. I'm still holding on to ideas rather than being what I am. Which brings us to the third chapter. Okay. All right, so here we are. Here we are. Third chapter three of The Untethered Soul. Who are you? That's the title of the chapter. Who are you? Who am I? Who are you? All right, here we go. Chapter three. Who are you? Ramana Maharshi, a great teacher in the yoga tradition, used to say that to attain inner freedom, one must continuously and sincerely ask the question, who am I? He taught that this was more important than reading books, learning mantras, or going to holy places. Just ask, who am I? Who sees when I see? Do you hear what I hear? <laughs> Who hears when I hear? Who knows that I am aware? Who am I? Let's explore this question by playing a game. Make believe that you and I are having a conversation. Typically, in Western cultures, when someone comes up to you and asks, Excuse me, who are you? You don't admonish them for asking such a deep question. You tell them your name. For example, Sally Smith. But I'm going to challenge this response by taking out a piece of paper and writing the letters S-A-L-L-Y-S-M-I-T-H and then showing it to you. 
Is that who you are? A collection of letters. Is that who sees when you see? Obviously not. So you say, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm not Sally Smith. That's just a name people call me. It's a label. Really, I'm Frank Smith's wife. (laughs) No way. That's not even politically correct nowadays. How could you be Frank Smith's wife? Are you saying you didn't exist before you met Frank? And you would cease to exist if he died or you got remarried? Frank Smith's wife can't be who you are. Again, that's just another label. The result of another situation or event you participated in. But then, who are you? This time, you respond, Okay, now you have my attention. My label is Sally Smith. I was born in 1965 in New York. I lived in Queens with my parents, Harry and Mary Jones, until I was five years old. Then we moved to New Jersey, and I went to Newark Elementary School. I got all A's in school, and in the fifth grade, I played Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. I started dating in the ninth grade, and my first boyfriend was Joe. I went to Rutgers College, where I met and married Frank Smith. That is who I am. Wait a minute. That's a fascinating story, but I didn't ask you what has happened to you since you were born. I asked you, who are you? You've just described all these experiences, but who had these experiences? Wouldn't you still be in there, aware of your existence, even if you had gone to a different college? So you contemplate this, And you realize that never in your life have you asked yourself that question and really meant it. Who am I? That is what Ramana Maharshi was asking. So you ponder this more seriously and you say, Okay, I am the body that is occupying this space. I am five foot six and I weigh 135 pounds and here I am. When you were Dorothy in the fifth grade play, you weren't five foot six, you were four foot six. So which are you? Are you the four foot six person or are you the five foot six person? Weren't you in there when you were Dorothy? You told me you were. Aren't you the one who had the experience of being Dorothy in the fifth grade play and is now having the experience of trying to answer my questions? Isn't that isn't this the same you? Perhaps we need to step back for a moment to ask some exploratory questions before returning to the core question. When you were 10 years old, didn't you look in the mirror and see a 10-year-old body? Wasn't that the same you that now sees an adult body? What you looked at has changed, but what about you, the one who was looking? Isn't there a continuity of being? Wasn't it the same being that looked in the mirror throughout the years? You have to contemplate this very carefully. Here's another question. When you go to sleep every night, do you dream? Who dreams? What does it mean to dream? You answer, well, it's like a motion picture plays in my mind and I watch it. Who watches it? I do. The same you who looks in the mirror? Does the same you who is reading or listening to these words also look in the mirror and watch the dreams? When you, when you awake, you know you saw the dream. 
there is a continuity of conscious awareness of being. Ramana Maharshi was just asking some very simple questions. Who sees when you see? Who hears when you hear? Who watches the dreams? Who looks at the image in the mirror? Who is it that is having all these experiences? If you try to just give honest, intuitive answers, you are simply going to say, me. It's me. I'm in here experiencing all of this. That's about the best answer you'll have. It's actually pretty easy to see that you're not the objects you look at. It's a classic case of subject versus object. It's you, the subject, that is looking at the objects. So we don't have to go through every object in the universe and say that object is not you. We can very easily generalize by saying that if you are the one who is looking at something, then that something is not you. So right away, in one fell swoop, you know what you're not. You are not the outside world. You're the one who is inside looking out at the world. That was easy. Now, at least we've eliminated the countless things outside, but who are you? And where are you if you're not outside with all the other things? You just have to pay attention and realize that you would still be in there experiencing feelings even if all the outside objects disappeared. Imagine how much fear you would feel. You might also feel frustration and even anger. But who would be feeling these things? Again, you say, me. And that's the right answer. The same me experiences both the outside world and the inside emotions. To take a clear look at this, imagine that you're watching a dog play outdoors. Suddenly you hear a noise right behind you, a hiss like a rattlesnake. Would you still be looking at the dog with the same intensity or focus? Of course not. You'd be feeling tremendous fear inside. Though the dog would still be playing in front of you, you'd be completely preoccupied with the experience of fear. All of your attention can very quickly become absorbed in your emotions. But who feels the fear? Isn't it the same you who was watching the dog, who feels love when you feel love? Can't you feel so much love that it's hard to keep your eyes open? You, become, you can become so absorbed in beautiful inner feelings or frightening inner fears that it's hard to focus on outer objects. In essence, inside and outside objects compete for your attention. You're in there having both inner and outer experiences. But who are you? To explore this more deeply, answer another question. Don't you have times when you're not having emotional experiences and instead you just feel quiet inside? You're still in there, but you're just aware of peaceful quiet. Eventually, you will begin to realize that the outside world and the flow of inner emotions come and go. But you, the one who experiences these things, remain consciously aware of whatever passes before you. But where are you? Maybe we can find you in your thoughts. Rene Descartes, Descartes, <laughs> Descartes, Rene Descartes, <laughs> Rene Descartes, <laughs> A great philosopher once said, I think, therefore I am. But is that really what's going on? The dictionary defines the verb to think as to form thoughts, to use the mind to consider ideas and make judgments. The question is, 
Who is using the mind to form thoughts and then manipulate them into ideas and judgments? Does this experiencer of thoughts exist even when thoughts are not present? Fortunately, you don't have to think about it. You are very aware of your presence of being, your sense of existence, without the help of thoughts. When you go into deep meditation, for example, the thoughts stop. You know that they've stopped. You don't think it. You are simply aware of no thoughts. You come back and say, Wow, I went into this deep meditation and for the first time my thoughts completely stopped. I was in a place of complete peace, harmony, and quiet. If you are in there experiencing the peace that occurs when your thoughts stop, then obviously your existence is not dependent upon the act of thinking. Thoughts can stop, and they can also get extremely noisy. Sometimes you have many more thoughts than other times. You may even tell someone, my mind is driving me crazy. Ever since he said those things to me, I can't even sleep. My mind just won't shut up. Whose mind? Who is noticing these thoughts? Isn't it you? Don't you hear your thoughts inside? Aren't you aware of their existence? In fact, can't you get rid of them? If you start to have a thought you don't like, can't you try to make it go away? People struggle with thoughts all the time. Who is it that is aware of the thoughts and who is it that struggles with them? Again, you have a subject-object relationship with your thoughts. You are the subject, and the thoughts are just another object you can be aware of. You are not your thoughts. You are simply aware of your thoughts. Finally, you say, fine. I'm not anything in the outside world, and I'm not the emotions. These outer and inner objects come and go, and I experience them. Plus, I'm not the thoughts. They can be quiet or noisy, happy or sad. Thoughts are just something else I'm aware of. But who am I? It starts to become a serious question. Who am I? Who is having all these physical, emotional, and mental experiences? So you contemplate this question a little deeper. This is done by letting go of the experiences and noticing who is left. You will begin to notice who is experiencing the experience. Eventually, you will get to a point within yourself where you realize that you, the experiencer, have a certain quality. And that quality is awareness, consciousness, an intuitive sense of existence. You know that you're in there. You don't have to think about it. You just know. You can think about it if you want to, but you will know that you're thinking about it. You exist regardless, thoughts or no thoughts. To make this more experiential, let's try a consciousness experiment. Notice that with a single glance at a room or out a window, you instantaneously see the full detail of everything that's in front of you. You are effortlessly aware of all the objects that are within the scope of your vision, both near and far away. Without moving your head or eyes, you perceive all the intricate detail of what you immediately see. Look at all the colors, the variations of light, the grain of wood furniture, the architecture of buildings, and the variations of bark and leaves on trees. Notice that you take all this in at once without having to think about it. No thoughts are necessary. You just see it. Now, 
Try to use thoughts to isolate, label, and describe all the intricate detail of what you see. How long would it take your mental voice to describe all that detail to you versus the instantaneous snapshot of consciousness just seeing? When you look, just look without creating thoughts. Your consciousness is effortlessly aware of and fully comprehends all that it sees. Consciousness is the highest word you will ever utter. There is nothing higher or deeper than consciousness. Consciousness is pure awareness. But what is awareness? Let's try another experiment. Let's say you are in a room looking at a group of people and a piano. Now make believe the piano ceases to exist in your world. Would you have a major problem with that? You say, no, I don't think so. I'm not attached to pianos. Okay, then make believe the people in the room cease to exist. Are you still okay? Can you handle it? You say, sure, I like being alone. Now make believe your awareness doesn't exist. Just turn it off. How are you doing now? What would it be like if your awareness didn't exist? It's actually pretty simple. You wouldn't be there there would be no sense of me. There wouldn't be anyone in there to say, wow, I used to be in here, but now I'm not. There would no longer be an awareness of being. And without awareness of being or consciousness, there is nothing. Are there objects? Who knows? If no one is aware of the objects, their existence or non-existence becomes completely irrelevant. It doesn't matter how many things are in front of you. If you turn off the consciousness, there is nothing. If you are conscious, however, there can be nothing in front of you, but you are fully aware that there is nothing. It's really not that complicated, and it's very enlightening. So now, if I ask you, who are you? You answer, I am the one who sees. From back in here somewhere, I look out and am aware of the events, thoughts, and emotions that pass before me. If you go very deep, that is where you live. You live in the seat of consciousness. A true spiritual being lives there without effort and without intent. Just as you effortlessly look outside and see all that you see, you will eventually sit far enough back inside to see all your thoughts and emotions as well as outer form. All of these objects are in front of you. The thoughts are closer in, the emotions are a little further away, and form is a way out there. Behind it all, there you are. You go so deep that you realize that's where you've always been. At each stage of your life, you have seen different thoughts, emotions, and objects pass before you. But you have always been the conscious receiver of all that was. Now you are in your center of consciousness. You are behind everything, just watching. That is your true home. Take everything else away and you're still there, aware that everything is gone. But take the center of awareness away and there is nothing. That center is the seat of self. From that seat, you are aware that there are thoughts, emotions, and a world coming in through your senses. But now you are aware that you're aware. That is the seat of the Buddhist self, the Hindu Atman, 
and the Judeo-Christian soul. The great mystery begins once you take that seat deep within. All right. Whew. The Atman, the capital S self, the seat of consciousness as it unfolds through, behind, and around your field of vision. That was a good chapter. I enjoyed that. That was a good one. Looking forward to listening to it. It's. I was reading it, and I was like, yep, 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 yep. And I, I'm going to have to listen to get a full grasp on it. But no, I mean, it was all there. The meditative state is is exercising that consciousness muscle, just remembering, reminding, becoming aware. And a lot of people do it with their breath, like, or at least I do. Like, I'll go throughout the day and go, there's a breath. I'm breathing. I'm consciously experiencing all that is, you know, without labeling, without identifying, without judging. I'll just refocus back into consciousness of experience. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I like what he's, I like what he said about it being your home. Like that's the seat. Like if everything were to come and go, everything is always coming and going our thoughts, our feelings. The other thing that was interesting, he didn't really say, and, and I think maybe it would be a little too abstract or esoteric to kind of, kind of like, I don't know. He didn't say it, but I'll say it. The entity of your, of your body, like the you or the me that is showing up right now. Like I know he talked about being five foot four, but in middle school you were four foot four or whatever. But like the organism of your being, like your body, like the entity that expresses the who that you are, the vehicle that we interact with one another with, that's something that's something interesting to me. I don't know if he's going to go into that, but like because I'm existing or consciousness is is existing in this organism, this atom organism, right? This organism that has been shaped and molded by nature itself, my environment, my biology, my genes, all of that stuff, my neuroses, my experiences, the psychology of my mind and my brain and you know, there's all sorts of real science psychological stuff going on that make up the body that I am existing in and to an extent um, needs to be accounted for you know just just in the sense that like like how do I say this consciously taking responsibility for the form that expresses me and that form is the is 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 represented as the body. So in that sense, like yeah, I can I can sit in the meditative state and revert to it throughout the day, but I'm still interfacing and interacting with a world, right? And how I show up in that world as this body has an effect on the experience that I'm going to have. So like I do I'm I'm digging this what this guy's talking about really getting into the seat of consciousness, but I also think it's important to pay attention to and treat the form or the organism of our being with care and kindness and and, holis- and like wellness and health and like get it like go to the freaking gym go work out what are you doing 
you know, you had those two McDonald's burgers, you had two McDoubles for $3 and 18 cents. And, and you're going to go eat the rest of the Zaxby's in the kitchen. You're going to eat all the chickens. You're probably going to eat like a shitload of Reese's tonight. Cause you're good. Cause you, they're there. You don't need any more reason than that. They're there. There's literally a shitload of Reese's in the cupboard. Uh, they're not your Reese's, but you were given full access to them. So like, you're going to go eat a bunch of Reese's like take care of yourself, dude, get a freaking pump in, go to the gym, you know? Anyway, that's what I'm saying. Basically like I'm going to enjoy the shit out of those Reese's, but like, that's, that's another thing too, is like, we have to take responsibility for our organism, how we show up in the world, what we intake, like what we put into our bodies, like, and, you know, I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong way to do any of this stuff, but it's, it's important to be aware of it. Like the content that I ingest, you know, if I'm scrolling Facebook all day or Twitter, looking at other people's lives, I'm going to have a bad time. But if I'm listening to stuff like this and I'm, you know, doing something that could be helpful or learning or creating something or, or even just, just being, being a, being a bro, being a friend, just you know, reading, listening, whatever the fuck, whatever the fuck you want to do. Um, it is important to take responsibility for the organism of our being, which is the form that represents me in the world, right? The atom, the entity of Adam as it moves its mouth in front of this microphone. You know, like I, I, I as the seat of consciousness, <laughs> I take responsibility uh, for what, occurs yeah so anyway that's that's the only part that i think he was missing out on there because like as much as i would love to just sit in the seat of consciousness all day and just be blissed and zen out and buddhist awareness i still gotta figure out a way to find a job you know i still gotta also like the the i'm still gonna be experiencing the river the flow of life right like and the organism of my being, my body, the way I interface with reality is going to decide how reality shows up. So almost to an extent, the better I treat myself or the organism of my being, hopefully the better that organism will treat others and then others will treat you. You know, it's cyclical effect. And I, I don't know if he's going to go into it. This has just been chapter three, but essentially like I'm kind of heady into the idea that the world and all manifestations of it are you like the seed of consciousness itself is expressing itself through a myriad of uh, different forms, birds, trees, oxygen, atmosphere, body, whatever. And we are intrinsically it as it unfolds through all time and space. And uh, the fact that we're aware of it essentially is like a seat, having a seat of the gods as, uh, you know, divinity unfolds or the miraculous nature of existence expresses itself, which is just crazy. Like, if you haven't thought of it yet today, think about this now. You exist and nobody knows how or why. It's crazy. Consciousness is a thing sprouted from the stars, birthed from the, the Big Bang, which has not stopped. Like it, we, we like to think like the big bang was a thing that happened and now we're here. Uh-uh. Eh-eh. The big bang is, con- is still happening. The universe is still expanding infinitely in all directions. We're still evolving and bouncing off each other and 
creating new forms of life and new ecosystems and planets and stars are being birthed and destroyed and uh, we're still big banging it's a, it's a happening it's 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 verbing itself out it has been uh and it just so happens that our our consciousness right now grew out of that like we are that as it's occurring so anyway that's that's what i got that's what i got for tonight good 30 minute good 30 minute potty potty podcast you know we we got to read chapter three of this book um yeah maybe we'll do this again maybe we won't oof my i need some water something i need to i need a drink i've been talking talking nonstop for 32 minutes that is a long time proud of my stamina like i don't i think i only took one break so like 32 minutes of talking straight up that's pretty good you're welcome <laughs> you're welcome yeah anyway hope you have an excellent rest of your day evening morning or night and uh yeah let's but let's uh Let's end with some Bill and Ted. A little, little in time from the, the main song from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which is a great film from the 80s. If you don't know, now you know. Hit it.